Now, up on the screen, you see a picture of an iceberg. And if you've ever seen one up close or in person or just in photos, you know that they appear massive and powerful, especially if, if as you can see from that little boat, which is not so little uh, in comparison to that iceberg. And yet what we see above the surface is actually mostly snow. And so it's less dense. That's what floats above the water. Now, the very compact ice core is much heavier and it keeps the much larger percentage of the iceberg under the water, as you can see in this next picture. And so the real concern for passing ships is that the majority of the weight and the size is hidden below the waterline. And what I want to propose to you is that your life and mine is like an iceberg. Consider where we spend our time, how we, where we live out our faith each week. Now, you and I, we may participate in church twice a week for about just three or four hours, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. The reality is that you and I spend 60 to 70 percent, or 60 to 70 hours a week outside of church, at work or at school, in our interactions with people. So about roughly two-thirds of our waking hours is spent outside of church where we really live out our faith. And then there's also the iceberg of our identity, who we really are. That if we trust and follow Jesus, then the life-giving water of Christ would overflow into every area of who I am, what I value, and how I live. And so you can't just tinker with the little visible tip of the iceberg that people can see. What we need to examine is the real me, what's going on below the water. And so to do that this morning, let's turn in our Bibles to James chapter 3. We're in this series called Vibrant, learning about a faith that works even when life doesn't. That as we're tested by trials and temptations, that a vibrant faith perseveres in living out God's wisdom in both our perspectives and our practices. In other words, does my life match up with my beliefs? Because a relationship with Jesus isn't simply relegated to the corners of my life, but they need to be integrated from the inside out. And so last week, the author, James, challenged us. If you want to know what's in your heart, look at your speech. And so today he's going to give us a test. It's an easy one. There's just one question. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Let's stop right there on that first verse. And so the question is, who amongst you is wise? We're talking about wisdom, not just knowledge or intellect, because you can have a lot of information and still live like a fool. Isn't that true? But we remember back in chapter 1, verse 5, that James talks about wisdom being the skill of both understanding God's will and then applying it into our daily lives, that you're able to take the word and the knowledge and the person of God, and then organize your life in trust and dependence around that so that how we live reveals God's will. And so the question is, who amongst you is an expert in authentically walking with God? Or who amongst you is spiritually mature? That's the test question. That's wisdom. And so the second half of verse 13 provides the answer. The one who shows it by their good conduct. In other words, that God's wisdom is demonstrated by what we reveal above the waterline. Do my 
outward conduct and behavior and lifestyle exhibit the goodness of Jesus within me. And when he talks about good conduct, he's not just talking about that it's morally good. In the original language, that word also includes the sense of being winsome, admirable, attractive, the kind of behavior that blesses people and draws them towards Jesus. So if I'm spiritually mature, if my life is integrated with Christ, then above the waterline, it's demonstrated by a daily life that's winsome, that's godly, that's harmonious, that's attractive, because it unveils more of Jesus to people around us. Then the last part of verse 13 reveals the source. So here's the question, here's the answer, and now here's the source, that these works are done in the meekness of wisdom. What people see above the surface is our speech and behavior. But to be authentically Christ-like depends on what is below the waterline. Is the foundation of what you say and what you do built on? Is it motivated by? Is it done in meekness? In other words, in a posture of humility and dependency on Jesus. So how do you know if you're building below the surface where the real me, where the real decisions genuinely occur? Well, a visibly vibrant faith builds God's wisdom below the waterline with humility. That's the big idea for this whole passage this morning. And picture it this way. If a frustrated man who thinks he has the moral high ground confronts his wife about her hurtful words, and he says to her, well, you sinned against me. Why do I bother when you're not the one for me? Is enough enough? Well, I saw the sign and it opened up my eyes. Yeah, I saw the sign of how awful you really are and you don't deserve me. Now, if you were to ask him, was that wise? He might answer, well, it needed to be said. Instead, ask him, was it humble? That's how you know because humility is the character of wisdom, especially God's wisdom. And so the answer to the test question about spiritual uh, maturity is that our outward behavior will display Christ-like beauty and integrity when our internal motive under the tip of the iceberg is humility, a humble desire to honor God, to serve people, not just to get our ego strokes, but that flows from his wisdom. So to discover what kind of person I will be demands that I, I examine the source, the wisdom behind it. What are my core values? What do I consciously or unconsciously believe that will make me successful in my life or in relationships? And James describes that there's two types of wisdoms. There's man's wisdom and there's God's wisdom. And he helps us identify which shapes our attitude and our actions and our influence by outlining their characteristics, their source, and what their outcome will be. Let's pick up in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So to to discover if your life is guided by man's wisdom instead of God's, excuse me, verse 14 says, check your heart for the signs of these two characteristics. Number one, 
is their bitter jealousy. In other words, what that means is to be resentful and envious because you're constantly comparing yourself and your situation to others. And as you may know from experience, comparison always leads to contempt expressed in harsh and critical thoughts towards other people because we perceive their gain as our loss. And so it's expressed in wanting approval and applause. And it's the very opposite of humility. Because what we're doing is arrogantly and angrily judging someone else. You don't deserve that. The second one, second sign, is selfish ambition. And that focuses on what I think I deserve. So the first one is about what I think other people deserve. And now we focus on what I deserve. That we think of our life and our relationships as kind of a game that we have to win. Even if someone else has to lose. And so selfish ambition is driven by self-interest and insecurity and pride to be seen and admired and to be in in control. You see, you can project a love for God and for other people, but we're really using God and other people to fulfill our own agenda, to win at any cost. How does that develop inside of us? Well, let's look at the source of the wisdom. Verse 15 Notice there's a progression from bad to progressively worse. So it starts with developing an earthly perspective where we view our life, our success, and our goals from a selfish, material-bound view. In other words, I'll do good if I can get something material out of it, like a free lunch. Secondly, then it moves towards unspiritual. Now, the word there isn't what you think. What it really means is temporal instead of spiritual. And so it's the idea of something that focuses on the sensual in this world, the temporary. It's short-sighted. It lacks eternal perspective. That's why it's unspiritual. So the perspective is, I'll do things if it benefits me right now. Ultimately, human wisdom becomes comes from the source of being demonic. That there's the, an enemy of our soul at work in the hearts of people to get us to do the right thing, but for the wrong reasons. In other words, to promote ourselves at the cost of others and ultimately destroying Jesus' testimony in us to the world around us. A recruiting and staffing agency pulled over 2,000 employees if uh, they've ever stolen office supplies for personal use. It's an anonymous poll So about 20% admitted that they had done so. Now, surprisingly, they found that office theft increased with your education and your salary, the people who needed the least. So 13% of high school graduates admitted to stealing office supplies, but 27% of college graduates admitted that they did. Only 11% of those earning $15,000 to $35,000 a year stole office supplies versus more than 25% of those earning over $75,000 per year were stealing office supplies. And in fact, the highest paid in companies had a tendency to help themselves to company cell phones and company computers. And so Joshua Newberg, an associate professor of business law at the University of Maryland, puts it this way. A sense of entitlement is the leading reason for employee theft. 
In America, there are over 200 million people who claim to be followers of Jesus. And then people look at our morals and our marriages, our dishonesty, our stealing, and our fraud. And I wonder what they think about our wisdom. You see, man-centered wisdom serves its own interest at the expense of others. That if you move from earthly to temporal to demonic, success in life is about what can I get? What can I get now? And ultimately, it buys into Satan's lies and his values. Now, do you want to know what the results of a life operating this way looks like? Because James says that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are in the heart. In other words, they're what people cannot see below the waterline. Yet, in our daily lives, the character of wisdom always rises to the surface. So in verse 16, he repeats again from bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, there are two types of fruit. First of all, it results in disorder. That's chaos and conflict and and confusion. It's expressed in broken communication and broken relationships, a lack of unity or stability, and a life that's in disarray. And so you see it kind of being exhibited in an out-of-control personal life and out-of-control relationships. Secondly, it also expresses itself ultimately in every vile practice. In other words, that as you base your life on human-centric, me-centered wisdom, that the fruit is always going to end up that we end up rationalizing or indulging all kinds of perversions and sin. Well, it's okay if I lie or if I cheat or if I steal or if I cut a few corners. It's okay for me to indulge a little, to bend the truth, to bend the rules, because I deserve it. So think of it this way. How many politicians and Fortune 500 executives who base their wisdom on me-centered decisions end up in the headlines, in the news, because all manners of evil spring forth from jealousy and pride. Inevitably, destruction bubbles up to the surface and it shows above the waterline so that everyone around us suffers from the fallout. So in short, it's characterized by me-centered choices born out of selfish short-sightedness that result in destructive fallout. For myself, and for everyone that's around me in my blast radius. So I want you to hold up a mirror this morning and look a little bit below the waterline. In an important decision or conflict that you're experiencing, are you serving yourself or are you serving God? Looking at ourselves, is there bitter jealousy? In other words, am I happy if others are blessed and succeed Or do I feel hurt? Do I feel a sense of loss? Do I feel resentful? That's bitter jealousy. What about selfish ambition? To get what I want, what is the cost to someone else that I am willing to accept? That'll show you how much selfish ambition there is in your heart. That's below the waterline. If you have a hard time Examining yourself, you're not that self-aware. Well, let's look above the waterline. What rose to the surface as a result of the wisdom, the, the, the core values that you're basing your decisions on? Did your attitude and actions detonate like a bomb causing disorder or disarray and disunity? 
What about evil? Do you find yourself rationalizing your sin or your harm because the ends justifies the means? Because you deserve a little bit of blessing in your life. It might be that you are building your life on man-centered wisdom that's self-serving and short-sighted. Okay, then what's the alternative here? Let's look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So in verse 17, you can tap into an alternative source, wisdom that comes from above, from God. Now, you and I, hopefully, we all want that, but the question we might be asking is, well, what does that look like? And so what I want you to do is think about a decision that you need to make today, and you want to know if it's wise, how to use your money, an opportunity for work, or maybe an important conversation you need to have with a friend or family member. And so what James does next is he provides seven characteristics of God's wisdom that can serve as a checklist for you to figure out Am I being wise? So look at all these seven. But what I want you to do this morning is instead of trying to get all of them, I want you to pray. Lord, if my core values uh, will hurt me and damage my relationships, if it causes me to be less than what you or I want me to be, Lord, then help me to hear from you in just one or two areas of wisdom. Okay, ready? So first of all, Wisdom is pure. This is of primary importance. It's the number one domino of God's wisdom, James said. First, purity. And so, is the decision, is the wisdom I'm basing things on morally clean? Is it holy? In relationships, are my thoughts free from ulterior motives, the opposite of bitterness and jealousy and selfishness? And so, I want you to think about it this way. If I'm wise, I won't compromise my integrity. When I know the right thing to do, I don't allow my behavior or my relationships or my finances or my speech to tell a different story. I won't borrow a few things or a few bucks that won't be missed. I won't look a little too long or leave a little bit too early or say things that make my conscience uneasy. If I'm wise, I won't compromise my integrity. Secondly, is it peaceable? And when we talk about peace, it's not just avoiding conflict, because that's how many of us uh, try to bring peace into our lives. But I want you to think about it this way. In Romans chapter 5, we were, it says that we were all once enemies of God, and yet he lovingly pursued us and confronts us of our sin. And so that by faith in the person and work of Jesus, you and I can have peace with God, it says in Romans chapter 5. So in the same way, We pursue peace by facing, not ignoring, facing issues. Being peaceable. That if we're wise, we won't antagonize other people with our anger. That we'll seek peace and a peaceful resolution with people. Next is gentleness. It's a picture of being genuinely kind or considerate or patient. That when someone says something that I don't like, I gently care for them by listening to them. 
Gentleness is the opposite of being abrasive, of cutting people off, of discounting what they say. Because one of the most damaging things that we do in relationships is by being cutting them off. And we do it all the time with people at church or at school or at work, and especially in marriage. And so the application here is, if I'm wise, I won't minimize other people's feelings. I can understand someone without agreeing with them, right? It doesn't cost us anything to listen, to respond caringly, kindly, and gently. Next, is my wisdom reasonable? So the picture there is that I'm humble and approachable by being teachable, that I'm open to hearing from others who have a different opinion than I have. And it's the very opposite of being stubborn or rigid or unyielding. You see, people who are easy to work with are reasonable, who don't power up to intimidate people and who don't withdraw to silence people. And so if I'm wise, I won't criticize others' suggestions. That's dumb what you just said. No, there's a difference between disagreeing and criticizing. So instead of feeling threatened by someone's suggestion, I'm reasonable to hear it out and see how that impacts people when we communicate. Success is not about me getting my way, but that God would be honored and that his will would be fulfilled. Wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit, it says. And so the picture there is of being forgiving and compassionate for someone in trouble, even helping them out of a pit That's the good fruit, even if it's their own fault. You see, you and I were never more like Jesus than when we give people what they need instead of what they deserve. And so the picture there is, if I'm wise, I won't emphasize others' mistakes. Instead, I'll empathize with my help. Now, it doesn't mean if they've they've done wrong that we don't deal with it or that, that there's not consequences but we don't humiliate people or harp on what is wrong with you. Instead, the goal is to help them through it. Wisdom is impartial. And so what that word means is that we judge truth and people without wavering is the original language of the word, that we're not swayed by the crowd. So in our relationships, we see people and treat people through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of truth, instead of other people's opinions. And so if I'm wise, I won't rationalize partiality. So if your company is doing some shady practices and everyone else is turning a blind eye to that, I don't buy in. Or if everyone is distancing themselves from somebody who's a little bit more difficult of a personality, I don't buy in. You see, when you stick to the truth and stick to people without partiality, people may disagree with you, but everyone will respect you. Wisdom is sincere. So literally that means without hypocrisy. It's the picture of wearing and switching a mask like an actor because we want people to think that we're better than we are. And so if somebody were to ask you penetrating questions, we lie or we exaggerate, we cast an image that's better than the reality to hide our flaws and our failures. If we are wise, if I'm wise, I won't disguise my weaknesses. You see, people who appear to have it all together don't. And the people who are most attractive and have the most impact on others, 
those who are honest about their weaknesses. I can identify with somebody who has problems in marriage or who doesn't always tell the truth, who struggles with time management, who blows it with their kids. But yes, I blow it. But then God picks me back up and empowers me through the Holy Spirit and helps me to grow through it. Now, I want you to notice that all seven of these characteristics impact relationships because man-centered wisdom serves its own interests at the expense of others, but Christ-centered wisdom serves others to honor and accomplish God's interests. Did you catch that? So what's the outcome if we apply God's wisdom to our daily lives? Verse 18, if you plant God's peace in the form of pure and being gentle and being merciful, etc., that list of seven things, if you plant God's peace into the ground, into your relationships, into your situation, it grows and it bears good fruit, the good fruit of righteousness. So I want you to take a look at some decisions or situations that that you're dealing with. Are your decisions and directions guided by godly wisdom? Well, here's how you know. By asking, what kind of fruit is it producing right now? If it's reaping chaos and sin instead of peace and righteousness, then I need to rethink what I'm planting below the waterline because that's what determines what rises up to the surface. So, honest question this morning. Of these seven characteristics we just went over, which one is Jesus calling you to plant and to grow more in your life? We encounter all kinds of circumstances that require wisdom. And how do you know which direction to go, what choice to make, how to respond? Well, is it wisdom? Is it godly and wise? Okay, well, how do I get God's wisdom? Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says, In this way they'll know God's mystery, which is Christ himself, that he is the key that opens all the hidden treasures of God's wisdom and knowledge. So it's not your morality or your ability or simply going to church every week. Do you have Jesus? That's where you find wisdom. That's how you get wisdom because he is the key to all the knowledge and wisdom of God. And so I wanted to challenge you to pray and ask God. Pray from James chapter 1, verse 5 this morning. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. Ask for wisdom about your ministry or your marriage, about your baggage of the past or your direction for the future. Because James continues on in chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, that God guarantees to give us that wisdom 100% of the time if, when he gives it, we'll say, I'll do it. The question isn't, is it scary? But do you want wisdom? Are you willing to do it my way? God asks. And wisdom doesn't just kind of lay around on top of the ground. We have to dig for it daily. Proverbs chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 says that, My son, if you will accept my words and store up my commands within you, turn your ear to wisdom. That we need to dig daily for it in the word of God. We dig up that wisdom from his word. 
And I want to suggest to you, lastly, you need to get around wise people. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says that he who walks with the wise grows wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. You see, we all want to steer our finances and our future, our words and our ways and our resolutions and our relations with the right direction. But it's not simply a matter of self-help or behavior management and behavior modification because that's just the tip of the iceberg. May you receive God's wisdom and build below the waterline with a posture of humility like the one who saves you, the one who loves you, our Lord Jesus Christ, who died in order that you might live and experience and live out his wisdom today. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beauty and the power of your word. There are many of us who are struggling with important decisions and directions in our lives today. Whether it's to do with our money, our education, our careers, our friendships, our marriages. And so many of us, including myself, have been thinking with me-centered, man-centered wisdom. And we see it. There's a bitterness in our heart towards people that we have to interact with for these decisions. There's a selfishness in our hearts that are convinced that it's time to think about me instead of everyone else's needs. We've bought into earthly, unspiritual, temporal, demonic wisdom. What can I get? What can I get now? And ultimately, we believe Satan's lies. That I deserve it. God, help us. Help us to break free from the fog of deception and selfishness. And instead, we open up our hands and our hearts and ask, Lord, would you be the one who pours wisdom into us? And we recognize that that cannot happen without more of Jesus. We thank you that in sending your own son, the sinless one, the perfect one, who is the embodiment of wisdom, who lived a perfectly wise life, that through his death and his resurrection, that we can receive his wisdom and life into us as well. So God, I humbly ask, would you give each person more wisdom today? Would you speak to that particular area where we need to exert more of your wisdom, purity, mercy, reasonableness, whatever the case may be, God, would you help us to apply your wisdom into that area of life? And so we surrender ourselves to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.